Hey friends, it's Kelly. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. I am doing this awesome episode. It is a a recording. They sent me the audio of a video that I did with Hello Perry. If you go to the uh, app store on whatever phone you have and search for Perry, P-E-R-R-Y, you're going to find their app. It's a free app full of all sorts of resources for perimenopause and beyond. And you can follow them on Instagram at ohelloperry. So it's O-H hello Perry. And they are a perimenopause sisterhood where they connect and support perimenopause warriors. They're so awesome. We had a great chat about perimenopause, sexuality, female desire, all the things. I hope you enjoy it as much as I love doing it. Check out their app if you want to watch us on video. And thanks so much as usual. If you guys would leave me the kindness of a review and some stars so people can find us, want to break through into the top 10 under apple for sexuality again i would love it i love all the countries that are listening not just america we are worldwide so share and review so we keep letting other women know that they are not broken awesome thanks for being part of the team i love you guys so much welcome to you are not broken the only podcast that combines science, medicine, and psychology to re-educate your brain and help you live your best love life. And I'm your host, board-certified female urologist, Dr. Kasperson. Dr. Casperson, how are nice you? Nice to meet you. We made nice it work. Nice to meet you. Yay. Oh, how terrific. Finally. Are you, so are cool. you uh, uh, like in a, um, you look like you're in a, like an audio, like a recording studio. Well, well, I podcast, you know, so. I yes, I know. Oh, so this is your setup. Yeah. So, oh. and I've got my good mic on, so. Oh, excellent. I hear you very well and you look beautiful and I'm so awesome. happy to meet you in person. Awesome. I, um. So, okay, let's get started because I absolutely don't want to waste any time. And cool. um, I, I, we are here with the pair community and we are welcoming Dr. Kelly Casperson, a urologist and also a podcaster. Can you tell us where in the world you are? Yeah, totally. Can I have one question. Can you make yeah. me allowed to record it so I can do, put this on my podcast in the future? It's it's being recorded. Okay, so you'll speak. just send it yeah, to me. It's happening magically. It's happening. Yes. Perfect. Okay, awesome. <laughs> it's happening. Um, I'm in Washington State. Oh, you are? USA. Yeah. Why did I think you were in the Midwest? You're from the I Midwest. Don't know. My Midwest my Midwest accent. Yeah. I look I look Minnesotan. <laughs> People have told me I look Minnesotan. <laughs> so you never know. Yeah. I just wanna um and and so wait so you're in Washington State and you are with a hospital you're in private practice I have private practice okay yep. all right great so I'm a, I'm a private practice urologist okay that's my day job that's your day job that's all my right day so job. before we um dive deep into this conversation I just want to share with our listeners and viewers that we have a special giveaway courtesy of Kendra Kendra is the company dedicated to providing women with menopausal care and support. And they have generously offered to give away one of their products, a vaginal lotion and reusable applicator to the first three listener names drawn after our call today. Uh, The product is used to help alleviate symptoms of vaginal dryness and painful sex. And Dr. Casperson is not affiliated with this giveaway. Um, We just wanted to take advantage of this moment to offer that to you. Okay, so Dr. Casperson, please let us know what a urologist treats. 
So a urologist is a surgeon who takes care of the genital urinary organs. So kidneys, ureters, bladder, typically and stereotypically, I guess traditionally the male genitals. So scrotum, yeah. testicles, penis, urethra, um, also the female urethra. But now as I think two things, number one, there's more and more women becoming urologists and urologists really are the people who are trained to be comfortable with the genitalia. And mm -hmm. so we're seeing a lot more female stuff. I, and I tend to say external female genitalia for what I do, because I don't do pap smears. I don't do the uterus. I don't do hysterectomies. I don't take out right. your ovaries. So your traditional right. gyne would be yes. cervix, uterus, ovaries. But the vulva, the clitoris, the urethra all kind of got neglected. Nobody really, the gynecologist a little bit took care of it. But the more I learned, the more I realized they don't always have great training in that area either. It's as if the medical community forgot to assign anybody to these body parts. Yeah. So urologists are, they're starting to take over. Not all, not all urologists, but no, that's the people who see there's a need. Yeah. So I, it's funny because I didn't, I did not know, and I obviously have been a follower of yours for a while. And I heard you talking about the sort of differentiation occasionally, but sort of in the ethos, like, you know, we're treating more women now or, or the, the story is changing. Something is happening. And it struck me that that may not have been so that women were not always going to urologists or urologists were not familiar with female genitalia as they are now. Does that sound about right? Totally. hundred yeah. percent. Okay, so this is really interesting to me is how did a practicing urologist like yourself end up with this podcast that speaks to perimenopausal, menopausal women and a lot about sex? Yeah. Um, it, well, it, was, it started out, I mean, it was a, like anything creative, right? It's a voice in your head that won't be quiet yeah. until you yes. like, do something to make it quiet. <laughs> do something, yes. yeah. So I had actually had a patient of mine who I'd been seeing for about five years. She had bladder cancer and I had removed her bladder cancer and she was doing great from a cancer standpoint. She came into my office and she was just bawling, just so many tears about feeling like she didn't have desire. She wasn't interested in sex. She had a wonderful marriage, loved her husband very much just had no drive at all and I didn't know how to help her and she really struck me and I think it was because I'd had years and years of a relationship with her and I'd taken her through the cancer journey and she still felt so broken over this and I'm like I don't know how to help her and I started to question that and like does nobody know how to help her do we not know how to help women and here urologists, again, stereotypically, we're the people who hand out Viagra like it's a multivitamin, right? Like we take care of the men all the time. And who's taking care of the people who are living with the guys who have the Viagra, mm -hmm. right? So I really started questioning, like, I was told that women were too complicated. Is that true? Do, do people actually know things about women's sexuality? And started really getting my own education on that. And then that's where the voice was. The voice was like, you can't do this in my small town in Washington and change the world, right? Mm -hmm. Or at least change enough people that I feel like need to know this information. And so that's where the podcast was born. Mm -hmm. How menopause kind of, because I really kind of then secondary, like dove into menopause and hormones because it's such a huge change in women's life. And again, just like sexuality, we get no education on it. We're in the dark. We feel like we're broken. So it's kind of a parallel universe yeah, to yeah. sexual desire. And so many women, you know, my bread and butter is vaginal estrogen. I give that out 
all the time because the, because the pelvis changes because of low estrogen, right? Mm -hmm. And what kept coming up over and over is estrogen causes cancer. Estrogen causes cancer. Yes. I can't take that because my sister had breast cancer. All of these statements that which people think are facts, but they're not true, right? And so how do we yes. go? How do we go about changing that? And so that's kind of where this menopause passion came in because I'm like, I can't get your pelvis better if you still have these wrong beliefs about estrogen, vaginal estrogen causes cancer. That's so. fascinating. I actually recall one of your lives a while ago, and you probably say this frequently. You obviously do. Um, but you did, you were the first doctor I heard say, that this cancer correlation that women are so afraid of is actually not true. And you talked about data and science, 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 and sort of helping women come out of the fear of the, you know, the risk of cancer that just didn't exist. So I, yeah. you know, I thank you for that. And, and I, I think it's, it's got to be nothing short of profoundly meaningful for so many women to hear, oh my God, you know, the, the relief that I could utilize this um, and be okay. Totally. And, and I think, you know, just challenging our facts, right? Like, because I'll ask women in clinic, I'll be like, who told you that? Yeah. Where'd you get that information? Because I'm like, tell me who's telling you this causes cancer. I'm genuinely curious. And by and large, they have no idea. Oh, I wouldn't have had an answer. Yeah, it was just, it's just, it's just like out there. It's just this thing that yeah. out there. And, and so it's like challenge these questions, right? Like yeah. challenge these thoughts that we really take as fact and to be like, is that, is it, does it serve you or is it not even true? And then we yeah. can move on. And yeah. it's not that I, I I don't think just to clarify, it's not that medications have no risk of cancer, but sure. normalizing, like if there's a risk, it's about the same as a glass of wine a day. If there's a risk, it's less than the risk of increased adiposity or being overweight. We know being overweight causes breast cancer. We know alcohol has an increased risk of breast cancer. We should be scared of other things besides these medications or try to decrease our risk in other ways. And that's what's so interesting is I'll have a woman who doesn't think twice about having a glass of wine, but heaven forbid she start estrogen. And it's like, just be aware of your risks, right? Just yeah. be educated on why you're choosing one versus the other. Thank you for that. Is there anything else? I, I, I'll get back to sort of our list of questions in a second, but is there anything else you'd really want to tell women about this, um, this fear around cancer and vaginal estrogen that is not on my list of questions to ask you? I want to give you a chance to. Yeah. I to mean, do it, that. it's, it's, it's interesting because there's, we have plenty of data to say that vaginal estrogen isn't absorbed in our body. It's local. It's like putting sunscreen on your face and your calf is still going to get sunburned, right? Like it's really just right. a localized product. And, but the package insert says this might cause cancer, heart disease, stroke, and the, and understanding again, the reason why that is right. The reason why that is, is because huge oral doses of estrogen several decades ago. That's the reason the FDA says if it's called estrogen, we have to put the risk on everything, even though we have so much data to say it doesn't cause those things. The American College of Gynecologists have been trying to change the FDA labeling for about mm. 10 years. Ugh. And so, I mean, it's annoying because here I am saying this, but then you're, you're going to go open your package insert and be like, clearly Dr. Casperson's wrong, unless you know the backstory, sure. right? No, so this like, is, this is huge. The, the more information people can have about it of like, why is it that way? 
um, the more you're just going to be like, okay, well, I can choose to ignore that FDA package warning, which you're not supposed to ignore them, right? Sure. Unless they're wrong. And how would you know they're wrong unless you know knew the backstory? Absolutely. So yeah, it, to, to say it's uncomplicated, it, no, it's certainly complicated stuff. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for that. Um, okay, so I'm just going to read what's what's down here. All right, so one of the things that resonated for me about you and your feed was your open acknowledgement around what happens to male genitalia versus what happens to female genitalia, sort of around, if you will, this, this age, this midlife season. Um, and that this is, I love this, that you, you talk about women sort of having this should-ism. I should have done it this way. I should have done that, that. I should have taken hormones. I should have not taken hormones. I should try and treat and mitigate my symptoms naturally. And that the conversation for men and I think with men is, correct me if I'm wrong, is sort of traditionally much more supportive and how can I help and let's get you back to wherever you think you should be. And that hasn't been so for women. Can you expand on that a little bit more? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think men and women are treated very differently. It's just how it is. But when you, I, I have the great honor of working with both men and women, whereas gynecologists, yeah. they don't have this male perspective that I always have. Right. And so if you have, if I have a guy and he's 55 and he's like, my erections just aren't as great as they used to be. I don't say, well, that's just the, you know, like you've outlived your lifespan right. for erections. <laughs> right. Right. But if a woman's like, Hey, you know, I just, I'm not feeling like maybe my, my energy or my testosterone's a little bit lower at age 55. And maybe it's a little harder to have an orgasm. P people are like, well, you know, it's your 55. It's yeah. just, we outlived our, our use for ovaries making hormones. We treat it very different. And I love the, to be able to have the perspective. We don't say that to men. We don't say like, well, you've just outlived your erections, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I heard you say once that if, if men sort of reached the age of 50 and their testicles shriveled up and dropped off, that the, the conversation around what to do would be so loud and so big and so sort of just common to us that like, you know, much like I think Viagra actually, everybody knows about Viagra, but we don't know enough about what's out there for women. Yeah. I mean, the quotes are actually from my friend, Dr. Rachel Rubin. She does sex med on the East Coast. I'm plugging her. She lives in DC, if anybody okay, wants to awesome. see a sex med doc. But her, because her quote is, if men's testicles fell off or their penis <laughs> fell off at age 50, there'd be a national vaccine. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. <laughs> right? It, whereas yes. in women, women were like, you know, well, I guess you just outlived your ovaries, like deal. Right. And right. it's like, you don't, you can choose to not do anything about it, but you can also choose to say, you know what? I loved how great I felt in my thirties and forties. I want to keep trying to feel as great as I can. That might include hormones. It might not include hormones, but kind of this like passive, well, too, ba too bad you lived long. We don't treat yeah. men that way. So I just ask that women don't get treated that way. Do you think also that there, I, sh I should say it like this. I think that you said that there sort of needs to be a re-education of doctors as well as women around their bodies. What does that look like? What, yeah, what, well, I mean, did you have a as far as men, two things. Number one, I think a lot of doctors don't get adequate training in a vulvar exam. 
what's normal, what's not normal. I mean, the amount of people I see after they've seen three gynecologists who told them their exam's normal, and I'm like, clearly it's not normal. This is what's going on. I, I always like to take a picture with their cell phone so then we can look at it. It's, mm-hmm. I think it's easier than a mirror and then you can be dressed. Sure. Um, but it's like, it's clearly not normal. So it's getting a proper training in physical exam in an era when physical exams are actually going away, right? We're doing more and more telemed, yes, uh, pap, yes. smear, pap smear recommendations are narrowing, right? So there's actually, we're doing less physical exams. It's hard to say we need to be trained more on them, but certainly there's so much pathology that a lot of people miss because they're not well-trained on it. And then the, as far as menopause goes, because of the Women's Health Initiative study that came out in 2002, we have two decades of doctors who didn't get trained on menopause, who didn't get trained on hormones, how to safely do it, how to counsel women on it. We, it's like we've like it disappeared. And so now mm. it's kind of coming back again to be like, actually, if you if you look at that study, t- taking 80 percent mm. of women in America off of hormones was probably not the right thing to do. Wow. That's incredible. That's a lot of people. Um, a lot of people. I saw, ahead, I actually, I talked, well, I talked to a guy, I talked to a patient yesterday and he's in his eighties and he has a friend, a female friend who's in her eighties and she's been on hormones this whole time. And he wow. was commenting because she told him, yeah, if you take these hormones away from me, you'll, you'll pry them out of my cold dead hands. Like she <laughs> she's, loves them. Right. Yeah, and yeah. I'm like, that's a woman who snuck through. She yeah. snuck through the women's health initiative and never got pulled off. So about 20% of women, I say snuck through, mm-hmm. but like had a conversation with their doctor to say, these are so beneficial for me. I do not want to stop. And they didn't stop. And so now they're thriving in their eighties, realizing I'm super happy on them. Still working great for me. And there's no reason to stop. So I'm, uh, there are all kinds of things that I'm thinking of, but so sorry. You're doing I'm trying, great. Trying to stay focused. <laughs> so, so we have so what, many different tangents. We could go anywhere. I know, I know, it's endless. So, what are the benefits to women to taking different types of hormones? So, when you're talking about this particular woman who's in her 80s and thriving and doing so well, is she taking more than vag- vaginal estrogen? Correct. Yeah, she's, t- she's talking about systemic estrogen. And mm-hmm. there's somebody had typed in a question. I think it's a nice, a nice segue to answer. Yeah, they said, when you say vaginal estrogen, does yep. an estrogen patch qualify? Or is this more like Premarin? So a couple of things, there's oral Premarin and vaginal Premarin. So just calling it Premarin doesn't help you answer that question. Okay. Um, and then systemic hormones means in your body, right? Your bloodstream mm-hmm. sees it, your liver sees it, your brain sees it, your heart sees it. All the, we mm-hmm. have estrogen receptors everywhere, right? Not mm-hmm. just our breasts, mm-hmm. not just our vagina. So systemic estrogen is taking estrogen in a way that your whole body sees it. Um, so that's pills and patches. Uh, there is a cream that you can use, but typically you're looking at pills and patches for that. About 50% of women who are on systemic estrogen still will get that vaginal, what we call genital urinary symptoms of menopause. And the reason why is this is still very low dose hormones. This isn't giving you your 25 year old hormones back. Mm -hmm. This is still such a low dose that I just say that the pelvis is the last stop on the train. There's just not enough to get there. And so I see women a lot who are on systemic hormones. It's still not enough to prevent atrophy, urinary tract infections, overactive bladder, all that stuff. So you can be, you can easily be on both systemic hormones and vaginal hormones, but you don't tend to be put on systemic hormones 
specifically if you're having vaginal urethral issues because you need that right. localized treatment down there. So I hope that that was, was useful. Yes. Um, and another person asked, which is actually on my list to ask you, but let's get to it, is about testosterone. So my question was if I, I, I learned from you that testosterone is actually, correct me if I'm wrong, if I learned correctly, more prevalent than estrogen in a woman's body always. And that when we start talking about estrogen and testosterone fluctuating, and I, this is something I, I had no idea, but testosterone is, oh, there's always more of it, but it may drop lower. And I'm not so focused on how it's fluctuating, but what does that look like? Because I never hear, I very rarely hear um, doctors talking about testosterone and what's needed, how we know we need it, what's prescribed as, as one of our viewers asked and so on. Yeah. So to stop, I mean, the, the problem is the marketing or the gender bias of hormones, yeah. right? Because so many people think, I mean, stereotypically testosterone gets labeled as the male hormone, yeah. estrogen gets labeled as the female hormone. And then we completely are incapable of thinking that people who are, you know, T testicle bearing individuals, men, I want to be careful with my gender language, sure. but your typical male has estrogen and your typical ovary bearing person, your female has testosterone. When you give testosterone the male label, you make it not important for the woman. Right. So that's the problem. When, when actually we have, we have one tenth the amount of male testosterone. So women certainly have less, but that amount is still more than the estrogen we have. That's incredible. It's incredible. It I, really didn't, I didn't know it or believe it either because I wasn't taught that in medical school. And that and the reason it, that we, the way testosterone's measured, and I'll I'll mess it up, but for example, it's measured in like picograms per milliliter, and estrogens measured in like deciliters. Per, like they're actually measured in different amounts, but when you convert it, you'll see that t there's more testosterone than estrogen. That's incredible. Okay, it's and crazy. so when when a woman comes in and she's suffering with various symptoms, what is testosterone addressing? And would she ask for a prescription of testosterone solely or is HRT sort of covering all hormones necessary? It's a good question. So H HRT stereotypically, just hormone replacement therapy or menopause hormones, uh, when you say that, people tend to mean estrogen and progesterone. Progesterone only if you have a uterus. It's the only reason you need to take it. Some people find it helps them sleep better because it is actually kind of sedating. So some people like their progesterone for that. But you really only need it to protect the uterus when you take estrogen. We can go into that. But this, those are the stereotypical hormones that are replaced in menopause. Okay. What's been neglected is the role of testosterone. We have testosterone receptors everywhere in our bones, in our heart, everywhere, just like we have estrogen receptors everywhere. They've done, we have long-term data on giving testosterone to women. Right now, the only indication really is for sex drive, low mm -hmm. libido. Um, but that's, it's murky, just like at the you know, we're chemistry kits. Nothing right. is black and white, right? Like there's plenty of people with fine testosterone who have low sex drive and vice versa. So it's mm -hmm. not, it, it's not perfect. But so the issue is there's no FDA approved 
indication for testosterone in America. So people are using it postmenopausally for low desire. And when it works, women are like, this is fantastic. Are there great, are there other benefits, like maybe uh, an additional uh, help for, to prevent osteoporosis, perhaps um, just vitality, zest, energy for life, your drive, but you're not going to get it prescribed for those things. Um, you know, what they say is we don't know the long-term harm, right? So that's why people are very cautious on it. But I think there's plenty of data now, and there's actually just a paper published in this month's Journal of Sexuality, Human Sexuality, um, on how to prescribe testosterone for low desire. So we're actually trying to teach physicians how to do that. It's off-label. There's no FDA-approved product, which means it's either compounded or you're going to pay cash. Insurance doesn't like to pay for things that aren't FDA-approved. Right. So certainly, again, it, it's a murky thing. But for the person who's saying, give your opinion on prescribing testosterone, my gynecologist refuses to prescribe i would say what are you asking for for it right yeah. usually a sex drive is like the quote unquote legitimate thing you're going to get testosterone for um and then why are they uncomfortable is it just because they don't know how are they uneducated are they interested in reading the new guidelines on that or do you need to see somebody else interesting so i i want to get back to the sex drive thing in a, in a second but just to circle back around to hrt You've talked about HRT um, being kind of like, almost like preventative care for women in terms of, um, you know, lower late life diabetes, um, what else, less osteoporosis. Um, less, less weight gain, less, uh, less oh, heart I, disease, less dementia, Alzheimer's. less risk of dying in your fifties, okay, you know, the see, little things, the little things in life. So this is so fascinating because again, and correct me if I'm wrong, I am not, um, I haven't myself, uh, taken HRT, but I've also heard sort of differing, um, takes, if you will, from clinicians. So one said to me, well, if you're still menstruating, no HRT for you. And Wrong. the other said, okay. And the other said, well, the other said, and this is what I want to hear from you. The other said, well, you could, if you're kind of like really suffering, but you don't seem kind of all that bad, which is neither here nor there. I'm just curious what, what you would say to, I, I mean, I, it's always complex. There's no right answer. The last thing I would ever want anybody to do is say like, Dr. Kasperson pushes hormones. Like I yeah, have no, no financial. No. Yeah. And, and you're not saying that, but and I'm like, I have no to... financial gain for prescribing hormones. Right. My whole purpose is to get women educated and to yeah. help them feel great and to yeah. help them live long and to not have them go like slowly into misery. Yeah. <laughs> and what, what you said about, well, if you're really miserable, then it's yeah. okay. Yeah. Do we say that to men? Right. No. And we say like, well, if you're truly super miserable, right. like almost like it's like earn it with your misery. Yes. And it's like, why are we doing that? Yes. I love that. Earn it with your misery. That's kind of how I felt. What, and I, I don't mean to make this about me, but I, this is why I love what you have to say all the time, because you're, you're sort of bringing up two things at the same time is the education of women and also the sort of education of clinicians in a lot of ways to say sort of stop pigeonholing women in these gender-defined you know traditional cubbies if you will and mm -hmm. let's believe them believe them when they yeah. say whatever they say so totally. so 
I know you're not like pushing the HRT, but I think this is the education part specifically about this is, so it will help to temper the surgeons of these various things, heart disease, osteoporosis, dementia, weight gain, HRT can help with all of that prior to your period ending. Yep. Yeah. I mean, the, what we know is women between age 50 and 60 have the most benefit to gain from taking hormones, hormone supplementation. Um, you don't have to stop. That's a myth that you have to be totally done with your periods. You're done with your period because your estrogen is now below a certain level. That's okay. all it means, right? So your estrogen can be going down and up and down and up and down like it does. And you still might have intermittent periods. You might already have horrific hot flashes. You might already have right. worse anxiety and sleep. Yeah. Why is your last period the banner of when you get to have a prescription? There's really no data to support that. Um, but I think, I think that's a common thing that people say, like, you're not truly in menopause, right? Right. But that's all, all these kind of perimenopause women of like, it's not a light switch that happens on a Tuesday, right? It's this really big spectrum. And we're kind of using that last period as, and who knows that you could have a period and not have another one for seven months, right? right? Like how do you, you yeah. don't actually know it's your last period. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, someone asked, and I just glanced and, and I like to ask doctors this as well as, you know, for so many of us who walk into our gynecologist's office and, and sort of leave feeling unsupported or not listen to what do you suggest we say to or yeah. do you maybe you say find someone else I don't know. yeah well I mean I never if you have a great relationship with a doctor like to me that's very prized like mm -hmm. there's something very very special and there's something very special with me just being two things both a woman who has a relationship with her doctor and then the, the long-term relationships I have with my patients there's something yeah. very special about that and I never want to tell somebody to discard it but I'll have women come into me and they're like, you know, for example, one thing would be a woman's on hormone replacement therapy. And then their doctor says, well, it's been long enough. You're going to stop now. Yikes. And so my big thing is just ask why, yeah. why are they saying that? Cause you're going to mm -hmm. get the insight behind it. Right. Mm -hmm. And in the stopping hormones for, because it's been too long, that's been discarded again. That's a myth. There's no age right. where, where you need to stop. It, risks of disease go up as we age, right? So you're going to see that whether you're on hormones or not. <laughs> um, but yeah. And so I had asked her, I'm like, what, well, why? What? And she's like, well, I didn't ask that. And it's like, I just asking why. And so I, you know, encourage the woman whose gynecologist says, I'm not going to prescribe testosterone is be like, why? Mm -hmm. And then they had answered in here that it was because, uh, what did they say? They said it was, there's zero proof it helps. Well, that's not true. There's okay. tons of data. There's a F, the Australian FDA, there's an Australian FDA approved testosterone for women. Mm -hmm. America just doesn't have it. Right. Yeah. So to me, I'm like, there's actually great data on postmenopausal libido and testosterone. Does that mean it's going to work for everybody? No, but no. nothing, nothing works for everybody. Right. But to say that there's no data is not true. Thank you. Okay. So to circle back to testosterone, but also desire, um, is the, the fluctuation sort of the decline of testosterone, the one thing that hormonally is driving desire in women? 
I mean, it's it's such a great topic because it's so complex, right? Like, I would yeah. love to be like, "Yep, it's the testosterone. That's it. It's not your. It's no, not it's your. Uh, yeah, it's not that you uh, have bad sleep habits. You don't right. exercise. You eat like crap. You overabuse alcohol. You don't have a great relationship to begin with, and your body image sucks. Right. Like, right. That's right. all desire, it's people. All of that. Yeah. It's all of that. And so, well, if you if if that person goes in as like, I just need testosterone. I know it's my solution. <laughs> it's like it's probably not going to work. Okay, so so you segued into sort of the second half of my question, which is, can you talk about what else it is? So if a woman comes in and says to you, doctor, I have zero desire, it's just not happening, my husband's fine or not, whatever, whatever, you know, what are you asking her? What are you sort of betting? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm asking her, you know, tell me about the last time you had sex, because how long ago was it? Was it enjoyable? Was it painful? If you're right. having pain, of course you don't have any desire. And so I'll always normalize that and be like, why would you desire anything where, you know, hitting yourself with a hammer? You, nobody's ever going to desire that. Yeah. So I kind of suss out what's going on. Does she have orgasms? Is her pleasure prioritized as equally as the stereotypical male partner? What are her beliefs about sex, right? Mm -hmm. If her beliefs about sex are, I could take it or leave it. I'm like, of course you don't have desire. Your thoughts right. about sex are you could take it or leave it. Like working on why is sex important to you? What do you want for you as a sexual being? Do you even think you're a sexual being, mm -hmm. right? Like all of those things are so important. I think where, where we, where we uh, do a disservice is by thinking desire is a product to be purchased and to carry around in our pockets. Like yes. desire is cultivated. We work on it. Like how do you and your partner show love and care for each other 24 hours a day, mm -hmm. not just twice a week in the bedroom. Right. And it's yeah. all of that stuff. There's something you talk about that I love, and I think it can be challenging maybe for some women, but you do talk about sort of, I think you put it like, you know, show up to the party, you'll probably have a good time. And so this idea that if perhaps you give yourself the chance to get started in, in, um, you know, a, a sexually intimate moment that you may actually just have a good time. And so it's sort of like the practice of use it or you lose it. And it, and, and I think and correct me if I'm wrong, I think you're talking about vaginal health as much as you're talking about desire. Is that yeah. fair? I mean, there's mixed data on have sex so that you can keep having sex. There's some data to say, yeah, the vagina actually benefits by being stretched and by producing lubrication and like your muscles don't get tight. And certainly I'll see just because my job's to look at vulvas all day long. I'll see <laughs> very, very tight, narrow vaginas that I'm like, if you were to just jump back into being sexually active, that might be very uncomfortable for you. Okay. So, I, you know, I think there's something to that, but I think where people get in trouble is when, when women feel like they should, right? Like yeah. I never want a woman to feel like she should be sexually active, but it's like, the more you exercise, the easier yeah. it is for your body to exercise, right? And that's, and the other thing, especially with desire is understanding dopamine and understanding long-term relationships. And I think so many couples, men and women, couples in general, don't understand that dopamine goes away after about six to 18 months of a long-term relationship. Now, well, now we're in a 15-year relationship. Okay, right? that's like, that's a, that's a, let's tap the brakes right there. That's a big deal. Is that yeah. right? 
I so didn't like, know that. So the Esther Perel is the big kind of couples therapist who's famous on that. She wrote a book called uh, Mating in Captivity. And she says it's this paradox, right? Or it's the price we, we pay for monogamy is that that spontaneity, that desire, that curiosity, that like, what's it going to be on Friday? Is he going to want me? Am I, is he going to, all that stuff is gone. Like, you know, I, you know what, what, uh, how many holes are in his underwear? You right. know what you're going to have for, you know, he eats oatmeal every day for breakfast. Right. Like that curiosity is gone and you have to then cultivate now that you're in this where all of the, our brain and it's neuroscience, right? Like our brain pays attention to novel things. What do you do when it's not novel anymore? You have to create it. Or Oof, I, I always joke, good. I'm like, you could just keep having new relationships every two years. <laughs> I mean, you there, could. You could. That's like where tons of spontaneous sexual desire happens, right? But a lot of people choose not to. Right. And it doesn't mean it doesn't mean you're broken. It just means our brain says, yeah, yeah, I know, I know what he's gonna do. I know how it's gonna go. I know yeah. that I might not. And then you have to challenge that and be like, let's try something new. Let's do it anyways because I know I like it. I'm just right. not novelty curious about it. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of women, well, I should say several women I've spoken to sort of get a little caught in a, a spot in this conversation that's about giving it a go anyway. Um, because, and, you know, there's this sort of like wrestling match that happens between, well, you know, screw that. I don't want to do that. I want to like have a good time and I want to feel good and I want to want to do it versus am I doing, it becomes complicated. Like, am I doing this for him? Am I doing this for my partner? You know, and all of that. And I, I think that's like a big part of what's happening also. hundred percent. And, and I always, I always want to be very careful with that. You're right. Yeah. Cause I never want people to be like, she just told me to have sex anyways. Of like, yes. that can come across super ew. Yes. But, <laughs> but you know, time and time again, I talk to women that they're like, I really actually love sex when I'm doing it. I love it. It's a great time. I just forget how important and how much I love it. And I'm like, that's perfectly fine. That's the way our brains work, right? Our yeah. brains like, there needs to be food on the table. The bills need to be paid. I got to show up on time for my job. Yes. You're not remembering how wonderful sex is all the time. Yes. Like, that's okay. That's just our brain. Yes. Yeah. And to circle back to these other things that kind of need to be squared up for at least, I think, most women to even get to the point where we're like, yeah, let's do this anyway. Or yeah, I can be talked into this like body image stuff and sleep and stress, all of that matters. I think, I don't know, would you say more to women? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, they've done data on it and they're like, the two big predictors of women who stop being sexually active is the relationship, how the relationship's going. Yeah. And then, you know, any sort of like dryness and pain. So it's not that like libido just goes away, but you have right. to actually like work on it. You have to work on your relationship. And I think if a woman came in and she's like, I would like sp to spontaneously desire heteronormative penis and vagina sex where he has an orgasm and I don't, I'm like, yeah. you can't, I can't make anybody desire that. Right. Like that's melt, that's melted ice cream. Yeah. So it's yeah. like working on the event to make it pleasurable. Like this is for women to understand sex is for them. Yes. Right. Yes. This is why ah. Dr. Casperson. Okay. Okay. So two things I'm thinking is, okay. A patient comes in and says, I desire, but it's painful. It's absolutely painful yep. versus 
a patient comes in and says, I can do it. I absolutely have no desire. Where are hormones? Are hormones the remedy here at all? What's happening? What do you do? It's a big maybe. I mean, yeah. I, I, it's, I'd say it's pretty rare that a woman's like, I've got, I'm sexy as hell. I'm well rested. I've got great fitness. My relationship's <laughs> awesome. I just feel like when my hormones have gone down, I kind of have la- lack of desire. It's like, give that woman hormones. <laughs> Like, it's really gonna help, you know? Like yeah. and she exists, right? She, I I have to think so. But to me, it's like, you know, to just say you need hormones, you're missing all like we're really trained in a heterosexual relationship yes. that sex is for the man. It's something we have to do. It might be a job of marriage. We've got all of this stuff that we've been socialized for that all of that creates low desire as well, right? I have yes. to do it. Yeah. I have to do it or he'll get grumpy. Oh my God. I hear that yes. all the time. I know. I believe it. I believe yeah. you hear that all the time. I hear it all the time. Yeah. Um, um, pain, ahead, and just to go back on pain for a second, it can be because of tight, dry skin. That can be a low menopause or low hormone thing, tight muscles, pelvic muscle tension, um, you know, orthopedic considerations. I had a hip surgery, blah, blah, blah. So really figuring out why there's pain. Endometriosis can be a reason. So there's lots of different reasons why there's pain, not enough lubrication. Yeah. Uh, I, I think a lot, again, we're not educated on this. Don't put anything in your vagina until you're like raring to go and you really want it because yes. the vagina actually lubricates, expands, and moves backwards to tip the cervix out of the way. The cervix doesn't always feel great, right? And if that's if that's pushed upon, that can hurt. So waiting for proper arousal. And you know, somebody had said it's it's so funny because somebody had said, like, I don't orgasm fast enough. And it's like, who said you had to orgasm fast? Right. Right. right? And we know that when women masturbate, they can orgasm within about four minutes. Really? Yeah. So like even the whole, the whole, like, well, women just take longer. It's like, it might be true, especially in a heterosexual relationship where the woman's orgasm isn't prioritized. Right. But we know that, that typically if you're like, let's study a whole bunch of women masturbating, they don't take a long time to orgasm. So just that belief that women take a long time. Um, but the other thing is in our society of like, you know, we're the society of like fast food drive through is like, why do we, why do you want your orgasm to be fast? Right. Why not enjoy pleasure for 30 minutes, right? Yes. And like paying attention to that thought, why does it have to be in a hurry? And yeah, like- Yeah, that's under, there's interesting. So, there's that so much stuff there. And men who orgasm super short, right? That's yeah. defined as a minute or less. That's called premature ejaculation. I wouldn't say they're going around getting gold medals for this. Like they actually think it's a big problem. So, you know, it's, it's, you don't want to take too long. You don't want to take too short. Like you can, you're, you're broken no matter what. Instead of being like, what works for me? What works for us? Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope that, and obviously you would know the dad on your, your stuff, but I hope that there are, you have a lot of men who are listening to you also. And I say that because, I mean, not just for obvious reasons, but I think about sort of bringing some of these conversations into a relationship that can be really hard, but they're so necessary at the same time that, you know, there's like this real opportunity for for growth sort of that, that any partner in any relationship would have and getting, getting through this. And I mean, I, I think what, what's amazing about this topic is like the sex is not actually where intimacy is created. Mm-hmm. The intimacy is created in talking about it mm-hmm. because that's where the vulnerability is. The listening to each other is the willingness is that's where, and people are super scared about that. Like sure. it could go wrong, sure, right? but it could also go so right. 
Yeah. I want to get back to for a second. Um, you started to talk about the cervix and this tip up and so on. So there's this anatomy part that I just want to get back to. And I know that you've talked, um, or I feel like I've seen you sort of pick up a vibrator and show it. Sorry, we have questions coming in, um, which I'll get to in one second. And, but I, I am just curious about kind of physically what can be happening that's causing actual pain. And also it um, is, the, well, the vibrator is sort of a different issue, but I'm just curious what your take is on that. On, on like what else can cause pain? No, I'm sorry. So two, just two different questions. So, so first anatomically, what is that? Oh, and you know, the other thing, this is a really, this is a big deal for me. Correct me if I'm wrong. I keep saying that, but I feel like, did I hear you say that the labia minora sort of recedes or like disappears or kind of gets like reabsorbed by the body? That is a big deal. I, I mean, a big deal. maybe Nobody everyone knew that. that. I, well, I, I didn't know. I was I in medical know. school and I didn't know that. Okay. And so I just thought what? all these women after menopause were like born without them. Until <laughs> I mean, I re- it's <laughs> huge. That's a huge deal. And it's, it's a largely a sexual organ. It's a sexual organ. It's so, also a protective organ. It protects our urethra from trauma. Okay. Our vagina, our vagina from trauma and infection. And so is it the loss of estrogen that causes this to, is it receding? Is it like falling off? Like yeah, what is exactly. actually so, happening? Can you imagine like you look down one day and you're like, oh, <laughs> well, I, yeah. I was kind of anticipating. Oh. I didn't know. So I really oh, we call it to... resorb. So resorb. I, you know, like, a, a less accurate word would be dissolve or disappear. But really like our, the, the pelvis became female because it saw estrogen. Right. And so now okay. it's not seeing estrogen anymore. And it's like, oh, the things that I had when I had estrogen kind of recede. Don't the labia minora being a big, a big part of that. Okay. And also is this- the wrinkles, our <laughs> vagina, the inside of our vagina is wrinkly. And yes. it's supposed to be wrinkly because it needs to expand to put a baby through it. It needs to expand to put penises and toys and sexual things in it, tampons yeah. in it, whatever it wants to do. It It's an expandable organ, right? So it yeah. has wrinkles to make the expansion easier. Yes when you lose estrogen, you lose your wrinkles of your, in your vagina. And so it actually can get tighter and it hurts more when it's being expanded or filled because you don't have that elasticity. We lose our collagen. We lose blood flow down there. Yes. So, so stretching with sexual intercourse can become uncomfortable if you're not keeping up the estrogen down there. Okay. This is fascinating. Sorry. I, there's so many questions coming in right now. Do you mind if I just take a quick yeah, look? Yeah, no, they're great questions. Okay. So, so someone asks, I have a dysfunctional pelvic floor I'm supposed to do physical therapy for this. I don't even know what that involves. Yeah. So phys- I'm not a physical therapist. I just work with great ones, but they really, the way I describe it is think of if you have a tight shoulder, right? Like mm. my left shoulder will get tight and I can't, untighten it by thinking about it or by like mm-hmm. deep breathing i literally have to have somebody go in there and like find the knot and like sure. get, get the blood flow going get the muscles to relax that's what happens to our pelvic floor it happens a lot right like if it happens to our shoulders and our low back and our quads and it happens to our pelvic floor and through our pelvic floor we have to poop we have to pee we have to deliver babies and have sex and so that movement can become very dysfunctional dysfunctional doesn't mean you're something's wrong it's not a personality flaw it just means it's not synchronized like it could be 
Okay. Um, now, sorry, someone is that, this is very funny. Someone's asking, saying she needs to go check her labia menorah, which I, I get, I heard this from you and I thought, my God, and, and PS, like, I'm not even sure what I'm looking for. So that right. was, that was kind of interesting. Yeah. But, um, she also says, what about the outer lips starting to look like mud flaps? What is that um, it could about? be, yeah, it could be weight gain. It could be weight loss. You know, if you have extra fat and then you lose it, um, certainly just losing like collagen. Collagen goes down when we get postmenopausal, which is why we get more wrinkles in our face, right? So it could be a, lot, a lack of collagen. We um, lose wrinkles where we want wrinkles. Yeah, and it sounds exactly. Like we, we gain wrinkles where we may not. Okay. It's a problem. It's a problem. It's a problem. Um, <laughs> it's a problem. Um, and the other thing that I've always want to be careful to say is your labia, your external labia could be completely normal. Mm -hmm. There might be nothing wrong with them. You're just choosing to call them mud flaps. And then right. I would look at, again, the body image thing. Right, why, right. Why do you think that it isn't what you think it should be? Uh, I saw a lady and she's like, I don't like the way my labia looks in swimsuits. And I'm like, well, you know, I look at thousands of labias and I'll tell you where you are on your bell shaped curve. And I'm yeah. like, your labia is totally normal. I'm like, did you yeah. once think that it could maybe be the swimsuits problem? Yeah. I'm not sure. Like you're just, that's just shoddy material and everybody right. in the swimsuit models are airbrushed. Right. Like, Absolutely. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, why isn't it the swimsuits problem and not your labia's problem? Yeah. Gosh, this is really a big yeah. deal for us. Um, how important are kegels really? I think, yeah. I think kegels are good. I mean, but I think exercise is good. I think fitness is good. I think lifting mm -hmm. weights is good. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's all just part of what, what, what blows my mind is people's inability to think that we need to take care of what we were given, mm. right? Like, yes, we should, we, we all age. We don't get out of here alive, right? There is something that can be very graceful in acknowledging that time is passing, but this like getting pissed because you have to exercise or getting pissed because you have to see if it like that whole like resistance to it is like yes. I just start calling it like I'll tell people and I'll call it the 20,000 mile tune-up <laughs> and I purposefully I purposefully put low mileage on it because yes. then they'll acknowledge like actually I, I probably think this is an 80,000 mile tune-up because uh, right. they're acknowledging like oh crap I've got a lot of miles right right right, right. yeah so yeah I mean so take Kegels, care of it all take care <clears throat> of it right aging well and I think it's, it, aging is not the problem. It's how, what we think about aging. That's the problem. Absolutely. Um, so kegels can cause pain for people who already have pain. So if that's what's oh, going gosh, on. Oh gosh, that's good to know. Take my shoulder, right? And instead of addressing the pain, I just start doing shoulder presses. Yes. I'm probably going to aggravate that injury. That's so, a big deal. I think that's so important because I would bet there are a lot of women literally trying to muscle through kegels because all we hear is that it's great for us. Yeah. And in people who have really tight pelvic floors, you can actually increase the tension, increase the pain. So people who have weaker pelvic floors, right? Like post childbirth or some urine leakage or, or maybe not as intensive orgasms anymore. Orgasms are muscle contractions. That's what an orgasm is and some brain neuroscience stuff. Sure. But it's like the stronger your muscles are, the more fit you are you might notice and people will anecdotally say like, yeah, I started doing Kegels or I got a pelvic trainer. I feel like I have more intense orgasms now. So there's, there might be something to that. So I, I left the vibrator thing for a second, but just actually one thing I had in mind to ask you about with using a vibrator is um, pelvic floor slash vaginal health. 
And yeah. are they helpful for that? I know obviously they're for I mean, I think part of it, it, it's interesting because you're not allowed. So in America, you're not allowed to make health claims without science-based evidence stuff. So you'll see a lot of vague stuff in this wellness area, right? Like may help vaginal health. Well, right. What the hell does that mean? Right? right. Like, but they, they purposely have to be vague. Otherwise the FDA will come in and be like, yeah. you're making false claims. Yeah. Right? So you kind of, you get these like support it's oh this supports, it supports pelvic health. You're right. like, what the heck does that mean? Right? <laughs> right. But it's because they purposely have to be vague or they didn't do this research or whatever else. Um, so yeah, like using a vibrator because it supports your vaginal health. Like to me, I'm like that marketing, Probably just okay. Interesting. All right. All right. You so use it, use it for pleasure and don't use it for pleasure. And that, okay. Okay. But I mean, the thing about sex is that the sex is really adult play, right? right. Like it's yes. legitimately what adults do to play. And once you start making it a chore, like when people are like, okay, how many times a week should I be having sex? And I'm like, yeah. I will not give you a number because you just turned it into a job. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, that's not fun. No, I, you I have to that. use a vibrator. That's not fun. Yeah. Right. So it's <laughs> yes. like you're, you're making the play work and right. that's like, and then don't wonder where your, where your desire went. Right. right. Like, Oh, right. you turned it into a job. That's why yeah. you don't desire that's it. That's why you don't desire. Okay. I don't, I, I know we're running out of time, but so somebody asks, um, okay, let me going back. I'm sorry. Uh, along with the dysfunctional pelvic floor, it hurts when her partner goes too deep. Um, and that's what started this. Okay. I guess that's what triggered, um, her dysfunctional pelvic floor. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Can you speak to that? Yeah. So a couple of thoughts. Number one, mm -hmm. some penises are just big and some, some women are just small. Mm -hmm. Like that's not how you guys chose to date each other. Right. Right. Like, why, don't we, why don't we just get to, like the six foot seven guy to date the five <laughs> foot woman? Like so the, there might just be a size discrepancy legitimately. Okay that's okay. It's not, it's not the woman's fault. Mm -hmm. right? and that's, I think we always take that as like, Oh, it's my fault. It's like, maybe it's his fault. He came yeah. with a pizza too big, like yeah. shame on him. Yeah. Right? Like we yeah. never blame the guy. Yeah. Like shame on you for not accommodating my vagina. Mm -hmm. Like instead we're like shame on the vagina <laughs> yes. for not accommodating the penis. Yes. Like it's so fun to flip it because mm -hmm. you just, it, there's so much enlightenment that comes from it that. really is awakening for both parties. Yeah. Why is she the problem? Yeah. Right? Why isn't the big penis the problem? Yeah. Um, but so legitimately, it might just be a size thing, might be an arousal thing, meaning I put something in my vagina before my pelvis was ready. All women are guilty of doing this. They think that sex starts when the, something goes in the vagina. So let's start sex. Okay. Can I stop you one second? When you say before the pelvis is ready, what do you mean? So how a pelvic arousal works is that we, what, when we're getting aroused, we either think things, we hear things, we see things, we touch things that triggers to the brain. Hey, I think something's going to happen down here. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, we, it increases blood flow. Mm -hmm. It allows the muscles to relax. Mm -hmm. The vagina actually sure. expands and tilts backwards to get the, the, to basically away from the cervix. Okay. Right? So my question for this person would be number one, I, I have to know that you're using lubrication. Lubrication never hurt anybody. Mm -hmm. It always helps with when we're dealing with pain. Mm -hmm. The vagina is the only self-lubricating, right? But clitoris isn't self-lubricating and penis isn't self-lubricating. Like help all these other organs out by bringing out the lube. Right. But I would say like my saying is if it's not an eight, don't penetrate. Of okay. like, unless you're like, I want something in my vagina right now. I cannot handle it. Get in here. Don't put it in before then. You're, you're not ready. And uh, women do not get taught that. 
Never. 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 We're um, taught that sex starts when the penis goes in the vagina and sex ends when he orgasms. Yeah. I no mean, wonder why we don't have desire. Yes. It's really ultimately at the end of the day about the pleasure of the male person, period. End of story, top top to bottom. Yeah. Um, and and when, ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah. I was just say, and when that's our view of sex, no wonder why we don't desire it. It's a job. It's something we have to do for him. It's like, we got to, we got to make sex good before yes. we can figure out the desire part. And it's funny. I mean, so I was talking to a male who's like a big researcher in female sexual health. Like he's in the business. He knows all the things. He knows all the studies. Like he's an expert and he's focused a lot on desire. And I'm like, yeah, but what we really should be telling women is like, make sure the sex is good. Yeah. And you're getting <laughs> yes. pleasure and it's feeling, and then we can work on the desire. And he's like, well, of course the sex should be good. Right. Like almost like it's just blown. And I'm like, that's such a male way it to really look is. at it Yeah, because of course it's good for him. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And he's like, well, yeah, that's like a default. And I'm like, no, like no. hard stop. Yes. Yes. This has to be good or you're not going to desire it. It's just like, you know, I don't love radishes. Right. I got to do something to like the radishes before I can desire the radishes. Right. Right. Like slap a lot of butter on there. Yeah, like okay. put honey mustard dressing on it or something. <laughs> somebody okay. was saying, I have to go at the top of the hour, so yeah. I'm so sorry. This is such no, a good No, no, this is awesome. Somebody had said something about their vagina. Here we go. Okay, yeah. our body doesn't always respond. My mind might be into it, but my vagina has different ideas. This is super important because that brings up that there's psychological arousal and then there's physical arousal and they can sometimes be mismatched, right? Like I'm rearing to go. I really want this, but like, oh my God, what's happening down here? Mm -hmm. Lube, definitely. If the vagina's like, yeah, I know you want to have sex, but I just, I'm not wet. Lube mm -hmm. is our friend. We can use is it. There, is, go ahead, is there a, um, an alternative lube that's safe to put into the vagina? Because I saw someone mention that there's like an issue with some lube they tried. Yeah. Um, I love silicone lube just because it's really like clean and pure. Uber lube okay. is really nice. It works great for dry skin because it's okay. not absorbed like a water-based lube. Stay away okay. from colors, smells, textures. Stay away from warming stuff. Like all that stuff great. might be very irritating to people. Okay. I'm sorry um, I off-tracked you. Yeah, no, no problem. But it's a, the point on what this person said was her vagina has different ideas. The vagina is not where female pleasure comes from. You don't need your <laughs> vagina. Get this, ladies. This is a big deal. So when a woman says my vagina is not ready, it's like that that tells me and I'm assuming I'm sorry, we're not. But the clitoris is where we get our pleasure from labia, clitoris, perineal around the labia. That's where all of our erectile tissue is. Right. Critical. So critical. So if you're like that has it. It's the, the silly thing about it is it's on the external. It's the external stuff. Here we are rushing to put something in the top of the vagina and we're wondering why it hurts. And it's like, you didn't neglect, you neglected the, all of our turn on stuff. So that, that would be my thought of like, you got to get the pelvis ready and the vagina is not the organ to do it. It's the, it's the clitoris, the labia, the entrance. Finally, and I wish we had so much more time, but I know you've got like 30 seconds and I'm listening, you know, so carefully to so much of what you said. And I can't help but think that um, younger women should be coming to you. There should almost be, I feel like women should go not only to their gynecologist, but their urologist every year to sort of check on the health of their parts. And so 
maybe what yeah I, I mean I feel like I feel like there's more there's there's so much to learn that we don't know and it would help if we started to learn these things a lot sooner totally so, yes I mean yes and and so so for I don't know so for someone who you know may not have um issues like I guess everyone's coming to see you once they have a problem right? Ah, uh, yeah. That's your point. What can that's you do? To kind, that's what problem? I'm getting at. Yes. It's yeah. like, it's that... like the hormones, right? Like, do you want osteoporosis when you're 70? You don't. Right. Maybe that's you should start hormones when you're 50. Yes. So, I mean, not to, you know, push thousands of women to a urologist prematurely, but do you think there's something to that? I guess like for, and for those of us listening to you who are kind of like, I think everything's okay, but I'm not 100% sure, but I don't have bladder leakage. And I, you know, I don't have this, I don't have that. Is it yeah. worth it to sort of make yeah, sure I mean, I, the The most awesome thing that I had, I had a woman come in and she's like, I haven't been sexually active in a while, but I'm going to get, I'm, I'm getting married at the end of this year. And that's, okay. and I just want to come in to make sure everything looks okay, that I can do this right. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's amazing. It's so amazing. Yeah. It's so amazing. And I just think like education, education. So the book's coming out at the end of the year. You're not. That was my final, final question. Yes. Ed, so yeah, you educate, have your give them to your sisters, your daughter, give them to your sisters, your mothers, your daughters. So, so can you tell us quickly about your book? Yeah. So it's called, you are not broken. Stop shooting all over your sex life. <laughs> Is it really? Yeah. That's fantastic. And we and just, it, we make it so heavy. We forget it's supposed to be fun. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it will be largely about sex. Sex. So the facts about our pelvis and sex and hormones and desire, and then our brain, what do we think about sex? What has society told us about sex? Why is yeah. it so heavy and stressful for us? And then we're, how do we work on being sexual creatures right i'd say that the average woman if you're like are you a sexual being she'd be like no yeah and it's like well you know cultivating that what does sex mean so there's a lot of mind work in there too okay so gonna, i i have to say i am so i so adore you for your your mind and your take and your sharing all that you do with women i i you, I feel like you've sort of like blown this conversation open in a very unique way. There's, there's science, there's the heart, there's the vagina, there's health, there's wellness. There's also like this incredible, you know, ladies, you count, take your, take your spot on the floor. And I just, totally. I can't thank you enough for your time today and for your podcast and your, your feed. Um, if you're not following Dr. Casperson, please, please do. And, um, you know, I, we'd love to talk to you again. I know for sure. There's like, thank you. Questions, questions, questions. I know. I'm so no, sorry. It's so fun. Thank it's so you fun so to talk much. to you. I'm so glad we got to hook up and we'll definitely do it again. Thank you. The podcast Dr. is called You Are Not Broken. You Are Not Broken. You're not it's broken. It's fantastic. I listen to it. I love it. It's great. Uh, you want real talk about sex, about vaginal health, about pelvic floor health, about relationship health, uh, about mental health. This is your podcast. So thank awesome. you. Yay. Thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you so you, much. Thank you guys. Be well. Absolutely. Thank you. Take Bye -bye. care. Bye.